0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me. We're going to be in Luke 24 for uh, most of today. But let's start with Mark 16 so we can look at that and be done with it. And then we'll, uh, we'll go from Mark 16 to Luke 24. So, Mark 16, then we'll pray. And then we'll uh, return to our study. Mark 16, verses 12 and 13. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Hmm. Okay, well that's kind of generic. Um, let's say a word of prayer and then let's uh, talk about these two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I rejoice over your faithfulness in our lives. Father, I rejoice over uh, all that you have provided for us in the way that our faith The fellowship of our faith is active, it's effective. Father, I rejoice at the body of Christ that you have designed us to be a part of. I thank you not only that we can study together, Father, but we can grow together. We can pray for one another. We can rejoice with those who rejoice, and we can weep with those who weep. And Father, I pray for this hour now that you would set aside distractions, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would equip us, Father, not that we know more, but that... Through that increased knowledge will come an increased love, and we might be able to serve more. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, uh, last week we were in episode five and uh, wrapped it up in one week, a single single lesson <coughs> of soldiers reporting to the Sanhedrin, reporting on the resurrection of Jesus. So we're ready to move on to episode six in the uh, resurrection ministry of Jesus Christ. Remember from the resurrection to the ascension uh, was roughly 40 days and because uh, he's going to ascend to heaven 10 days prior to the uh, day of Pentecost. Uh, so episode six is Jesus's appearance to two disciples on the Emmaus road. It's going to be followed by uh, Jesus' appearance to the disciples in the upper room uh, minus uh, Thomas Uh, Then we'll have an episode where Thomas is present, and uh, we're very quickly approaching uh, the uh, conclusion to this study. Um, This is an episode that really is detailed in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. The parallel text, I don't believe, is much of a parallel text at all uh, in Mark 16, 12, and 13 uh, for many reasons. First of all, the details don't mesh 100%, and beyond that, Uh, you're dealing with the disputed passage in Mark anyway. Anything after verse 8 is questionable in Mark 16. Um, Remember when we talked about the women viewing the tomb in Mark 16? um, The tomb was empty and the angel said, "Uh, Go and tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And this is actually where, the, uh, the, where we end the chapter, where we end the book, according to the most reliable manuscripts, according to the best understanding. The rest of this is problematic from verse 9 on. You've got a, a patchwork of manuscripts that have three different endings to the Gospel of Mark. And uh, there's really no certainty as to uh, which, if any, of them belong there. And in all likelihood, none of them belong there. Uh, So they're recorded for us, we we preserve them in modern translations, because there's really nothing to hide, Um, but nevertheless the verses are problematic for the different reasons that they are. All right, so in these verses uh, you've got Mary Magdalene coming and her report to the disciples and um, the fact that the disciples didn't, uh, didn't believe it, and then he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. All right, well, that's likely a a preservation of the legend that uh, we have recorded for us in Luke 24. Uh, Rather than looking at this preserved legend, how about if we simply look at the real story and uh, get it from the inspired scripture, which is found in Luke 24. So join me there. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And that's 23 verses worth of material. It's a lengthy section. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And I like the fact that it is um, <clears throat> not Peter, not John, all right, not uh, the apostles, um, two that we had never heard of before, and only one that we know by name. His name is Cleopas. We'll see uh, that name mentioned in verse 18. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, "The other one we don't know the name." And um, you know we could speculate that maybe that's the that's Bob. We've been looking for Bob all my life in the Bible. That could be Bob, or speculated that it's maybe it's Mrs. Cleopas and, and uh, <laughs> or uh, his son or whatnot. In any event, we'll uh, we'll detail this. Behold, two of them. Who's two of them? Okay, well let's back up just a little bit. Uh we dealt with the resurrection a couple weeks ago, and for several weeks we were dealing with all the details <coughs> of the different women that were there, uh, the uh, role of Mary Magdalene who uh, fled and fetched the disciples, Peter and John had, had their foot race, and then Mary followed after them, and Mary had her own personal appearance, all the details on that. Uh, but when the women do give their report, finally, when they give their report in verse 10, Uh, they were mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them but peter got up and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in as he saw the linen wrappings only and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened and if you recall, I believe this is a second trip that Peter took. The first trip was his foot race with the Apostle John, described in John chapter 20. And then here, this uh, when he goes by himself, I believe this is now his second trip back to the tomb. And then he returns to his home. He returns to his home. And keep that in mind, because I think that's going to be significant later in the chapter when um, Jesus has a personal appearance to Peter. We learn about it in 1 Corinthians, we learn about it here. Uh, I think that that becomes significant as well. All right, so behold two of them. Who's the two of them? Well, I believe it's uh, apostles or all the rest that are mentioned there in verse 10. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus uh, talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. That's an interesting expression, and really, I think it's a better explanation than what you have in Mark, where He was in a different form. All right. Um, this uh it does not address what form he was in or what he looked like just simply that there was an obstacle to their eyes something some divine power was affecting their vision <clears throat> and uh that's a better way to understand that and so he said to them what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking and they stood still looking sad and it's kind of interesting. Part of what really captivates my attention is all the different expressions in this passage for, for talking. Um, they were talking and discussing in verse 15. And then there's a third term, these words that you are exchanging in verse 17. So it's more than a conversation. It's a conversation that led to an argument that led to, or a debate that led to an exchange. And uh, it, it's interesting. You wonder if Jesus had not shown up, what Direction might that conversation have gone? Uh, At what point does a friendly discussion become a heated uh, argument, become a a fight? And uh, anyway, hard to say. Uh, But anyway, Jesus shows up, and uh, they stood still, looking sad. They don't know how to answer that. And so one of them, then named Cleopas, answered and said to him, "Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days?" Remember, we're still in the midst of the seven-day feast. Of the uh, Remember, Passover is followed by that Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a seven-day feast. And uh, they're still in the midst of it. They're not staying in Jerusalem for that. Why, why are they going to the country? Why are they going to Emmaus, that, that village? Why are they not remaining in, uh, in Jerusalem? Are they just so sad? Are they overwhelmed? Are they consumed by the grief of the events? It doesn't say why they're leaving. They're just on the road to Emmaus. So are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Are you the only one? <laughs> okay. I'm glad Linty came back. I teased her a couple weeks ago about the only one that didn't know who Trayvon Martin was. Or. <laughs> all right. Well, some people don't watch the news and that's that's great. God love you. That's uh, Actually, you'll be rewarded for that, I expect. I think I'm going to suffer loss of reward for all the news I watch. But. um Anyway, we got this expression here. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware? The events surrounding his trial, his arrest, his crucifixion were momentous, okay, to say the least. Um, momentous even to the unbeliever, even to the casual observer, even to just the, the folks that don't really pay much attention to what the, the, those religious people do. At least they pay attention to this because the whole city was in an uproar. And the idea, you know, Rome is on edge and they don't tolerate the city in an uproar. So that gets your attention. And okay, well, let's put this guy to death. Does that calm everything over? All right. Is Rome happy? Is the Sanhedrin happy? Can we go on about our lives? All right. So it's going to be an item for conversation by the general public (coughs) in any event. All right. So uh, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and in all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. It is the third day since these things happened. We talked about this when we were... The proving the friday crucifixion all right and the problems that people have if they want to hold to a thursday crucifixion or a wednesday crucifixion it is the third day since these things happened. the plain understanding of this is a crucifixion on friday and now sunday is the third day all right um and they go on but also some women among us amazed us When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. And as you read through this, you realize these two disciples don't believe a word of it. They don't believe what the women had to say. And when the men went to check it out, well... They saw the empty tomb, all right, but they didn't see Jesus, and they didn't see angels. So what they're communicating here is a partial testimony. It's really a a, a flawed gospel. They're giving a partial testimony, but they don't believe it. The part that's flawed is the part that they're not believing. And so Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? Okay, the way that's phrased, answer it yourself. Yes, it is necessary. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? See, people don't want to accept that. The idea of suffering according to the will of God? No, I deserve to be happy, (laughs) right? We've got the struggles going on, that that happy idolatry that takes place. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. (laughs) You know, I think of every Bible teacher that ever had the most fun in the world, it would have been Jesus. You know, I mean, I've taught 4,000 whatever times, but I've never taught about myself because I'm not in the scriptures. (laughs) Okay? Jesus got to teach about himself. Every book of the Bible talks about him. All right. And they approached the village where they were going. It's only a seven-mile walk. And uh, so however long it takes, and at whatever midpoint they were at when he stopped them, and didn't have a whole lot of time to teach him in that. So they, uh, he acted as if he was going further. And so they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening. And the day is now nearly over. So he went in and stayed with them. And uh, this is where their eyes are going to be opened. Uh, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And how many times has he done that before? You know, you can imagine this is now when finally that veil is lifted from their eyes, and they, they're going to recognize him. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. <laughs> All right, isn't that amazing? I, I think this is remarkable. Vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? That's an expression that I've been pondering. How ought we be when we are hearing the word of God taught? When we are humble under the authority of doctrine, when we are in fellowship, when we are feasting upon his truth? Or is it just a uh, ho-hum, oh, here's another Bible class? Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. (laughs) I guess it wasn't that late after all, right? I mean, how late was it? They said it was late, so they said, stay with us. I kind of suspect it really wasn't even all that late, but they just made excuses because they wanted him to teach some more. Then again, maybe it was, and now it's extra late as they're running back to Jerusalem. All right. They found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. And in the meantime, those eleven are pretty excited. Now, why are they gathered together so late? Well, what they're saying is the Lord has really risen. Okay. And in the meantime, the Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. That would be Simon Peter. And this is where Peter finally now has his appearance. Okay. And so uh, then... Uh, the, the Emmaus Road disciples begin to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And then they'll very quickly move from there to our next episode, episode 7. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Peace be to you. That's got to be frightening, right? <laughs> you know, you're all alone or you think, you're all, you, know, you think you're in this room and the doors are locked and then all of a sudden somebody's standing right there. Peace be to you. And you're wondering, you know, how long were you standing there? <laughs> were you listening to us? All right. So, anyway, this is what we're going to look at. And there's a lot in this, a lot in this episode. And uh, I find it, uh, I find it a blessing. I find it a blessing because it's not the famous apostles here. It's just two, two schmucks, two guys walking along the road. Okay, two guys we never heard of before. And they're... Um, Daily routine, their normal way of looking at things, I, I find to be pretty typical, pretty descriptive of of me, of us, of just normal daily life. And uh, I think there's a lot of encouragement that can be found in this episode. So we start with the two of them. The two of them, I think the two of them applies to the uh, to the others or to the rest in verse nine. The two of them. It is a conundrum, a little bit of a grammatical puzzle. You always want to go back to the nearest antecedent to try to uh, lock in on your pronouns. And it's, it's awkward here because the nearest antecedent, as you go back, uh, well, was it Peter? He was the nearest antecedent in uh, verse 12, but Peter's not a them. Uh, there is a them in verse 11 that are the apostles. These words appear to them as nonsense. So the nearest them is the apostles. And it's worthy of consideration that maybe these are the apostles that are in view here. Two of the apostles are walking along the Emmaus Road. Only problem with that is that we we have one of them named in verse 18. One of them is named Cleopas, and he's not one of the apostles. Not one of the apostles we know about anyway. He's not one of the twelve, not one of the eleven. We know all of them by name, and Cleopas is not one of them. Um, but we also have in verse 9 the recognition that when the women returned... They reported these things to the eleven and to all the rest, or to the others, to, to the eleven and to all the rest. We know that there were additional ones because we know two of them, Matthias and Judas, were uh, selected. were Were they drew lots to determine which was become the twelfth disciple? Remember that uh, they had to replace Judas Iscariot. Okay, if you're not familiar with that, hold your finger here. Let's not lose sight of this, Acts chapter uh, 2, I know uh, everybody likes praying the Psalm 109 prayer, let another man take his office, (laughs) okay, people are praying that with respect to our president, that's a little bit out of context, all right, Uh, let another man take his office is a prophecy related to Judas Iscariot, and it's quoted here in Acts chapter 2, And then uh, in Acts 2.21 it says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, they have to fulfill that office, the apostle of the Lamb, witness of the resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Now, these men, we don't see them in the Gospels. We, we're introduced to them here. But understand, what the passage we're reading today, the passage we read last week, the passage we read the week before, those men were there. They were there in the upper room on the night in which he was betrayed. The Gospel record doesn't count, doesn't record that, but they were there. They were more there than just the twelve. Including at least these two, possibly more beyond these two. We don't know the exact number. But of all the men, of all the men, how many is that? It's more than two, I think. Of all the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord. And and, and so they draw lots, they pray, and, and Matthias is the one that's selected. and He was added to the 11 apostles. And we never again, for the rest of the book of Acts, have the 11 mentioned as a group. They're after this referred to as the 12. All right, the 12. And I know there are people today that reject this. They think they were wrong. This was a mistake. Paul's the 12th apostle, and they've got this, I think it's just a romantic attachment to Paul, (laughs) right? Paul is an apostle, but he's not one of the 12. Barnabas is an apostle. James and Jude, they're apostles. The brothers of our Lord are apostles. They're just not of the twelve. The twelve are limited to the apostles of the Lamb, those that ministered with Jesus during the dispensation of Israel. They're going to sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom. They are different than church-age apostles. Okay? Are we clear on that? The the apostles of the Lamb were apostles before the church. They were apostles with Jesus in the the age of, of Israel. And then they also became, except for Judas Iscariot, they also became apostles uh, in the church age. Why do you think this happens in Acts 2 before the day of Pentecost? Okay? The Holy Spirit hadn't descended yet when Matthias is added to the 11. All right. So um, there are others. And Cleopas is one of the others. And this unnamed disciple with Cleopas is one of the others. And uh, we have no idea who some of the others might have been. So, uh, who is Cleopas? A lot of confusion on Cleopas. Cleopas. This is a genuine Greek name. And it should be distinguished from the Semitic name of Clopas. Although you read commentaries all day long that will tell you that it's the same thing as Clopas. And Clopas is supposedly the same thing as Alpheus. They try to blend these these different names from the Hebrew and the Aramaic into the Greek. The problem is is that it's a different name, and it's a genuine Greek name. It's actually a masculine form of Cleopatra. Uh, Cleopatra in the masculine Cleopatros, a a shortened diminutive of Cleopatros is Cleopas. And that's what we have here, the masculine form of Cleopatra. Um, and so we don't blend him with the Clopas or the Clophas that's mentioned in John 19:25. One of the women at the cross, there was Mary, and then there was Mary, the wife of Clopas. Two different Marys that were there. And uh, there's also the mother of James and Joseph. And um, different folks have tried to combine Clopas with Cleopas with another name, Alphaeus. Alpheus. Based upon, um, and say, how do you combine Cleopas and Elpheus? Well, they do. Based upon the, the consonants of, uh, of the Aramaic form of these names. Um, yeah, standing by the cross was of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. It's not even clear whether Mary is the wife of Clopas or the daughter of Clopas or just Mary of Clopas. Maybe for her Clopas was a village okay mary of magdalene mary of clopas all right so we don't uh, i reject the identification of cleopas and clopas i think they're two separate people there's no reason to to blend them the second disciple is anonymous though that has not stopped the useless speculation (laughs) the second disciple is anonymous although that hasn't stopped the useless speculation. Everybody's got all kinds of ideas. Um, why is Cleopas named in any event? I think it's remarkable uh, when you consider Luke's audience and uh, writing to Theophilus, writing to a, a Gentile, Luke himself as a Gentile. It's interesting Um I, I expect that in the 50s or 60s, probably the 60s, when uh, this gospel is written, that Cleopas is somebody known to the believers in Jerusalem. Somebody known to the believers, perhaps in Caesarea or one of the regions nearby. Uh, one of the legends is that uh, the son of Cleopas is a fellow who became the uh, the uh, bishop of that church, the the presiding elder of that church in Caesarea, uh, following. Um, following these things. So anyway, there's, there's legends based on that. Um, Weigh the, weigh the legends for uh, what you will. All right, what do we know about Emmaus? Emmaus is a village, 60 stadia from Jerusalem. You know what a stadia is? It's a, it's a Roman measurement. It's about 600 feet. Yeah. Um, Emmaus is a village, 60 stadia from Jerusalem. Most, uh, most of our modern Bibles will give it a, a mileage uh, rendering. Uh, as we see here, about seven miles from Jerusalem with a footnote, 60 stadia. One stadion was about six, 600 feet. Uh, there are manuscript discrepancies in the Greek text of that chapter. Uh, some try to add 100, and so they make it 160 stadia. Uh, some try to add the 100, and then they leave out the 60. And so it just shows up as 100 stadia. And um, none of those manuscripts are are reliable anyway. We we can observe the difficulty that the scribes are having and why they're changing the mileage on it. Uh, I think it's best to leave it as 60 stadia. And we've got some different um, leading candidates, three or four leading candidates for which one is the most likely. I'll read an article here in Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia. Emmaus. It means Hot Springs, by the way, and it's likely that, uh, or Hot Bath, Hot Spring, uh, it's likely that um, there were several towns of that name. I mean, how many Hot Springs do we have in the United States? You know, we got several, you know, and, and some are more known than others. You know, there's four Austins in the United States, but this is the only one that people think about. They don't think about Austin, Minnesota, or Austin, Nevada. Um, so, Hot Springs, okay, Emmaus, there's probably several and they, I mean, how do you think they get named? <laughs> because of the feature, yeah. All right. Anyway, here's a village that's mentioned only in Luke 24:13. One of the appearances of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday was to two men walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. The Lucan passage locates the, the village 60 stadas from Jerusalem, or approximately 6 and 3 quarter miles, or 11 kilometers away. A variant reading, 160 stadas, is found in a few Uncial manuscripts, including a pretty prominent one, one that we like in most cases. We like uh, Sinaiticus a lot. It's a great Alexandrian Uncial manuscript. But it appears that in this case, that manuscript has had an adjustment, and it's not an appropriate adjustment, so we reject that reading. Um, there's a 6th century manuscript, letter N. There's K, Pi, and Theta from the 9th century. A few minuscules and two versions. Now this distance is supported by Eusebius, supported by Jerome, um, in the Anomastikon, um, Jerome published a, uh, a uh, Bible dictionary of place names. <laughs> and he called it Anomastikon, place names. And, uh, because by the 4th century, when Jerome was around, uh, people were starting to wonder where some of these places were. And, uh, so forth. Uh, the reading 60 status is found in P75, one of my favorite, um, uh, papyri. Uh, also in uh, Vaticanus from the 4th century, Alexandrinus and Ephraimi Rescriptus, that's A and C from the 5th century, and others. Um, the evidence of P. 75 in the Bodmer papyri and Vaticanus together establishes definitely the reading of Sixty status Because they also are Alexandrian manuscripts. And that you would think that they would line up with Sinaiticus, and the fact that they don't is, uh, is good testimony that Sinaiticus is... Uh, has a problem there. All right. Three identifications of Emmaus have been proposed. The first one is the modern village of Amwas, And uh, I don't accept that one. Um, but uh, Vincent Abel wrote uh, a book here called Emmaus um, in 1932. I'm not going to read the rest of that because it looks French to me. Sa basilique. et son histoire. How was that? All right, never mind. Uh, however, this location would require the reading 160 status, which is very doubtful in the light of the papyri manuscripts. And so um, we can reject that. There was a military colony, of Vespasian, uh, presently uh, possibly present-day coloniae. It was called Amaus by Josephus. And so Josephus references this village. Uh, however that distance is only 34 status and it's too short. Not only does it defy the reading in Luke, but it also defies the variant readings that we have in in the different manuscripts. Rather difficult to cooperate with the biblical record. Thirdly, the one I like, Present Day El Kubaba. That's hard to pronounce too because it's Arabic. Present Day El Kubaba, On the Road to Joppa. And the definitive publication for this, if you want to read it, is uh, by P.B. Bagatti. And uh, this also looks... French Franciscan Press. It was probably Latin. These are Franciscan monks that, uh, that wrote this. I Monumenti di Emmaus. I don't know, maybe it's Italian. Um, so, unless you want to read those books in their languages, just uh, read the Wycliffe article and be done with it. Um, the remains here are definitely from the New Testament period, and the distance from Jerusalem agrees fairly well with the Lucan record. I think it, it's precise. I think it's precise to the 60 status that we have in the scriptures. Um making this identification the preferred one and I agree with Wycliffe, it's the preferred one. Okay? Google Maps has the Arab town labeled Kubeba. Like I said, it's uh Arabic so it's hard to pronounce. and there it is um i'll go ahead and put it on a map so you can see where it is and then we'll zoom in on it take a look at the pictures if this is too light to see that's not too bad you see jerusalem down there in the lower right And the village we're zooming in on is pretty well center. uh, But you'll note, if you can see that closely, um, that it's across the border. It's in the Arab section of the West Bank. It's across the uh, security fence from the uh, civilized portion of Israel. And so we zoom in, and uh, this is on that northwest road that goes to Joppa. And uh, we have the agreement there I think I moved my mouse. Well, Kubaven. There we go. They even have something labeled there Emmaus Church. Go back to the satellite view. And the Google marker for the Emmaus Church, they put it on the wrong building. It belongs on this building here. So here's the village. It's a Palestinian village. It's part of the West Bank. It's part of the Palestinian territories. And um but the Franciscans put a monastery here. And it's been destroyed and rebuilt a number of times. And it commemorates the uh the house where supposedly these uh, this was uh the house where they invited him in, and they put a church on it. So there it is. (laughs) And obviously, if you're a tourist, then you can pay the Palestinians, and they'll uh, gladly be your tour guides and uh, tell you all about how they know for a fact that this very church is where Jesus was uh, after his resurrection and uh, met those two on the Emmaus Road, and this is biblical Emmaus. They tell you that at all the other sites as well. <laughs> the, all four sites will tell you this is the real Emmaus, and you pay your tour guide. Sadly, this is probably the one that's least visited because it's it's in the terrorist side of the fence. Okay, um, the the other ones are less archaeologically likely, but they're much safer to get to. <laughs> and um, one of them is is nearby a couple of real fascinating museums and and places, so uh, I think they're probably more more popular than this one. Uh, I've never been to Israel, but I'm a Google Earth uh, tourist. So if you type in Emmaus or Emmaus Nicopolis, we can go there. A lot of pictures there also. And uh, it's by this uh, museum over here, and it's by this monastery over here, and it's really easy to get to at the crossroads of this highway, and it's on the safe side of the fence. And, and it looks like a much older church because it's ruins. <laughs> it's an archaeology dig. It's just, uh, but they've got plaques, and they've got. Uh, Different things telling you that this is Emmaus, and uh, this is where Jesus appeared on the Emmaus road, and so forth. All right, I, I believe the Kubeba location on the Arab side is the better location. It does match sixty status. It matches the also the direction. I think, I, although. Uh, nothing in Luke 24 gives us a direction. It, it says seven miles. It doesn't say north, south, east, west, or whatever. But that road was a was a well-traveled Roman road uh, to Joppa, from, from Jerusalem to Joppa. And the idea that these guys are not only walking, but they're going to run back on the same night, okay? They're, they're doing 14 miles this day. They're going to do seven miles to Joppa, uh, to Emmaus and then they're going to run right back seven miles directly back. Seems to make sense that following that Roman road would be the best way to do it. Uh, Certainly much better than other uh, travel options that may have been available to them at that time. So I think that this location is much better than the Emmaus Nicopolis location. That's the second one that I showed you, the Emmaus Nicopolis location. Again, there's your Google map. And sure enough, they got it marked there, Emmaus Nicopolis. They put a little church icon on it. You can take a bus 109 or bus 325 if you want to get there by bus. Aren't these maps amazing? Kind of scary in some ways. All right. Now, thirdly, they were prevented from recognizing Jesus. They were prevented from recognizing Jesus. Here's my third observation. There's six things we're going to get in this episode. And um, I find this interesting. Why? Is God a liar? Is God a trickster? Is God, why does God? Why is Jesus doing this? this is this a practical joke? And he did it before, too. He did it with Mary Magdalene. She thought he was the gardener. Okay, remember that? Um, what's the purpose in this? I find it a blessing in that if, uh, if there's things we don't see right away, that's okay. <laughs> if there's things that, you know, if you, do you ever feel kind of dumb? Like, wow, why didn't I see that before? Okay, so I'm not the only one that does that. Yeah, I mean, this, I'm like a moron sometimes. I go, wow, why did I never see that? Well, maybe because my eyes were prevented from seeing that. Perhaps that God actually knows what he's doing when he um, when He directs our growth, our testing, our studies, our understandings, that our faith is being tested based upon a limited understanding because later on our our faith is going to be retested under an increased understanding, but see, we're going to blow it down the road if we don't pass the test now. And so the the, the preliminary testing encourages us to once again, faith rest, once again, apply the doctrine, to once again, trust in the Lord. And and God in His wisdom knows all this. He knows that if we don't have these early testings, we're really going to blow it in the later testings. And, And much of what happens when we get retested on things is an increase in knowledge, in awareness. Not only knowledge, but also understanding. Sometimes we know stuff, but we don't fully understand the, its significance. We go from gnosis to epinosis, to oida, to sophia. And in each time we go through those stages, we're getting retested. So, having their eyes prevented, I I chew on that, I, I ponder that. and and And, you know, was that... I, I don't think you could take it any other way. This is God who's preventing it. It's not Satan. We know Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, Second Corinthians four four. But this isn't anything like that. That's a spiritual delusion that Satan's cosmos wisdom just lays upon the unbelieving mind where the gospel is just foolishness when they listen to it. That's different than, than staring at a person and not knowing who it is. I think this is an act of God. This is God's power. And it it serves its purpose until he chooses to lift it. Same thing he did with Mary Magdalene. Same thing he's doing with the disciples. He's going to do it again with the disciples. So their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And it's interesting. their, Their eyes are restrained. They're held. We've got a passive imperfect of krateo. Kreteo is a power word. Kreteo means to to hold. And in some senses, it, it has a restrain application. Not always. Um, sometimes you hold something to wield it. Sometimes you hold a sword and you're going to kill somebody with it. Or you hold whatever. Kreteo is a power word. If somebody's in your power, well, their eyes were in his power. Their eyes were restrained to hold or to restrain. And I think there's, there's good imagery for this in Revelation seven one and Acts 2.24. Revelation 7.1, the, there are angels and they're holding back the four winds. Are you familiar with that? Holding back the four winds. And it has nothing to do with what we're studying today, but it, it shows you just, I think, the, the, uh, the semantic range of this verb. Right, where it can mean to not just hold something, but to hold it back, to restrain it, to hinder it. And that's the same sense that we have for Kreteo in in Luke 24 today. So after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back, Kreteo, the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Can you imagine If globally, worldwide, wind just stopped? And how long would it take for people to notice? Well, some people would take forever. I mean, I don't go outdoors unless I can help it. But, you know, (laughs) basically, home and work, home and work, home and work. But for those of you who go outside, would you notice? Man, the wind hadn't blown today. Yeah, second day, third day, it's kind of still. Kind of still. I wonder, how would the birds fly if they don't have the moving air currents? They typically glide. You know, that can flap and they can fly without wind. But, but normally, they require moving air. It, it certainly makes it easier for them. They can fly further. They can rest more. But with totally still, non-moving air, that's a lot of wing flapping for those birds. Think about it. Anyway, stuff to ponder uh, Acts 2:24. Acts 2:24. This is uh, interesting because it's the same author, Luke and Acts. Okay, uh, so Acts 2:24, we got the same verb used by the same author, and in talking about the resurrection of Christ, here's P- here's uh, Peter's sermon. Here's our verb. This is our verb. Krateo. In a passive voice, it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Death couldn't restrain him. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him back. So their eyes were restrained. Their eyes were held. Something held them back from identifying Jesus. They would have recognized him otherwise. They knew him. I believe they were of the disciples that were with him from day one on through the entirety of his ministry. They knew him and that they were apostles. Not of the twelve, but they were apostles. Right? Because there were more apostles than just the twelve. There was up to 500 that he appeared to at one time. Also, uh, the story in 2 Kings. um, Won't take a ton of time on that, but It's worth looking at if you're not familiar with it. 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a good chapter to read in terms of our angelology. So it goes well with our Sunday uh, morning series and our Wednesday night series. This is where uh, the city is surrounded and uh, Elisha's servant, Gehazi or whoever, um, he's not named in this chapter, he's named in later chapters, uh, the servant, though, thinks that they're surrounded and doesn't realize that the uh, surrounding army is the one that's surrounded. You just need to have a matter of perspective. So, 2 um, uh, Kings 6.15, when, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out. This just reminded me of what your homework is. The attendant of the man of God This is a pattern for the server-minister gift. Uh, He's not a church-age believer, so it's not a server-minister gift. But it's a pattern, like uh, Joshua was an attendant of Moses from his youth. And uh, here this servant is an attendant of the man of God. We have attendants that minister to the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's a pattern for believers in the church age that are coming under conviction that they are server-ministers in their giftedness. So it's a passage to pay attention to. Uh, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. That's bad. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> We've got them outnumbered. Now the servant, all he sees is him and Elisha. He sees two. Two. And then out there he sees an army. And how can two have that army outnumbered? Well, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now in this case, it's not an issue of his physical eyes that have a, a disguise. It's actually the fact that he doesn't have the spiritual eyesight to see the angelic dimension of existence. Evidently, the prophet does. I wonder, was that normal for prophets in the Old Testament? Could they walk into a room and see not only the people in there, but see the demons in there? See the fallen angels? See the elect angels? So, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. So now that surrounding army, now they're the blind ones. Now they're physically blind. Hmm. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is it the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. Again, is God a liar? Is God a trickster? He leads this blind army to a different place. And he brought them to Samaria. And when they had come into Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. Behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now they're surrounded. And the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Like David's men in the cave. Kill Saul. This is your opportunity. Kill Saul. We've got him surrounded. His pants are down. And he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them. They may eat and drink and go to their master. Anyway, this is an interesting passage, not only in light of our angelology study, but in light of our Roman study, where you return good for evil, where you heap coals on their head. I find it remarkable. Anyway, blindness. Blindness, the things that we do not see. We go to the Father and say, Father, show me what I need to see. I don't need to see everything. I just need to see what you want me to see so I can stay faithful. Martha was likewise prevented from recognizing Jesus at first, and the disciples will have a similar experience. So point B. Martha was likewise prevented from recognizing Jesus at first. We've already read that. That was uh, a couple weeks ago in John chapter 20. The disciples will have a similar experience in John 21. Dan used this chapter when he was talking about fishing and evangelism about letting your nets down on the side of the boat he tells you to at the time he tells you to they didn't know who it was not when they were obeying him it was only later that they, they had John finally put it together and said that's the Lord is this an ability or is it characteristic of the resurrection body things I ponder about things I wonder about All right, let's look at these John 20 and then John 21 Now I see what you're talking about. I don't always say the point number, do I, out loud? So if you're not here looking at the screen, if I don't always say main point 3, sub-point A, sub-point B, if all you're doing is listening to the MP3 file, then it may not be exactly clear that uh, sub-point A was the passive imperative of krateo, number 2902 in the strongest Concordance with 47 New Testament uses. And at subpoint B, Martha was likewise prevented from recognizing Jesus at first, John 20, 14 through 15. And the disciples will have a similar experience, John 21, verses 4 through 7. Oh well. Motivation for the, uh, the MP3 lurkers. They should be in Bible class. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. No, I understand. Wednesday morning, most people work. John chapter 20. She thought he was the gardener. Um, When uh, woman, why are you weeping? So when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, similar to the breaking of bread, I I, I think that it's the mannerisms, it's the expression, whatever it was that triggered it, finally then their eyes were no longer restrained. The korteo was turned off. They were no longer under that restraint, and they were able to see him as he is. He just says to her, Mary. The veil was lifted. The restraint was removed. Her eyes were no longer hindered. She saw him for who he is. And she calls him Raboni. Must have been her pet name for him. And um, there it is. The disciples in the next chapter are going to have a similar experience. And they've already had two occasions with him, minimum, in uh Different places, but now, one, one with Thomas, one without Thomas. But now, uh, about a month later, they have this one. And uh, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, also called Sea of Galilee. He manifested himself in this way Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Again, how do they not recognize him? They've been living with him the last three and a half years. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, remember John never names himself in, the, in his own gospel, but this is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard there was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, where he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. <laughs> All right. And then they come to the beach and they have breakfast. By the time they get there, Jesus already has the charcoal fire already laid. Where did he get the charcoal? <laughs> you know, was H E B open that early? How did how did he get the charcoal? Where did he get the fish? You know, they the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about one hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. But you know, by the time they show up with their net full of fish, he's already got the fish cooking. They're clean, They're gutted. They're cooking. They saw the charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Where did he get the bread? And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. All right, so Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. Why 153? Oh, I have no clue. But I'm not teaching this chapter today, so we'll, <laughs> we'll learn that before we get to that episode. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. All right, so this is now the third time in verse 14 that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Once without Thomas, once with Thomas a week later, and then this time. Now, a question to ask is this an ability or characteristic of the resurrection body, or is it simply Jesus exercising divine power? I, I suspect the latter. I suspect that preventing somebody else's eyes is a work of divine power. It's not intrinsic to his body. It's not intrinsic to what he does or can do. Okay? Uh, we talk about what can the resurrection body do. And I don't think it's exactly a trivial question. I think it's a legitimate question. I think it's something that we ponder. We don't have any answers to it, but we ponder it in light of 1 John 3, 2. What does 1 John 3, 2 say? It says, we don't know, but we can ponder. (laughs) We do know that we'll be like him. We do know that we will be like him. Brethren, it says, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. So we're going to be transformed. Our our body of glory, our resurrection body is conformed to him. Right? And we know that. That's our destiny. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians chapter 1. We are conformed to be like him. That's why in this Christian way of life, every day we want to be like Him. We want to be more like Him. In our thinking, in our speech, in our actions, and our decisions, in our attitudes. We want to be like Him. But when we get there, we're going to be like Him. <laughs> Completely. In form. In nature. In glory. And so... Well, what is that like then? What is that like? Does that mean there's no more pain? Can we be injured? Can we be stabbed? Can we be shot? It'd be good to know because we're going to go into battle on white horses when there's no more death, no more pain. Okay? So you can envision this. you got a whole week now to envision this. Um... And consider the, uh, you know, will we fly? When I was a kid, I thought, hey, we're going to be able to fly. The angels fly. Jesus flew. They saw him ascend up into the clouds. And then somebody said, well, was he really flying or was he caught up? Well, I kind of think he was flying. I hope so, because I want to (laughs) fly. Angels fly. We're going to be like the angels, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. Um. He shows up in rooms that are locked and doors are closed. So does that mean he walks through walls or does that mean he teleports? Or both? What does that mean? He disappeared from their sight. We saw that today. We'll see that next week. When finally, when their eyes are opened and they identified him, are we going to have a disguise capability? Can you walk into a room and wearing somebody else's shape and nobody knows who you are? And why would we do that? Okay. And then we lift that veil and they can see us for who we are. Oh, it's you. We see more questions than answers at this point. We will be like him. No more sickness, no more dying, no more pain. No more pain. I think that's going to be fun. On white horses in battle, don't worry about the bullets. Don't worry about the landmines. Don't worry about chemical weapons. None of that. Think about it. Going into battle, immortal. How fun is that going to be? Because I've been to battle in uh, in mortality. That's scary. (laughs) Go to battle in immortality. Behind him, because he's up front. That's going to be fun. Father, I thank you for this class. We've got a short start on it, Father. There's a lot more to go. The matters that these two disciples are discussing, they very quickly start arguing and then they start exchanging. And Father, uh, I pray that we would understand this and understand the teaching that Jesus provides for them, the systematic teaching beginning with Moses. And Father, we're going to be systematic. We're going to go step by step. We're going to go here a little, there a little. We're going to be cautious as we study. This is what we've been doing for 400 and however many classes we've been doing this in the life of Christ, Father. We're doing this because this is his pattern. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to explain to them these things which must take place. And I thank you for the pattern we have in Christ and the blessing we have to imitate him. And I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.